Welcome to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast with Ellen Cherry and Andrew Grimm. In this podcast, we're exploring that question of why aren't you famous? Because people seem to ask us that all the time. And uh, Ellen Cherry, why why aren't you famous? <laughs> um, there are so many reasons that I could list why I'm not famous. Mm. Okay, reason one. Um, for, well, first, people don't ask me that all the time. There are other questions that people ask me. Really? Like, they, don't, they don't ask you as soon as you like walk out the door? <laughs> Why aren't you famous? <laughs> um, well, you're getting an Egg McMuffin. <laughs> that's why I'm not famous, because I don't eat Egg McMuffins. <laughs> oh, is that one of the secrets? The yeah. secrets of success is to eat something that has at once came from an animal, but not really. <laughs> so far distance from an animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so today's topic that we are discussing mm-hmm. is ego versus ethos. Yeah, what's that all about? Well, I don't even know. I mean, I wrote an essay about it, and I feel like I barely understood what the question was because we had to go over it a couple of times. I can <laughs> I consider myself an intelligent person. You are intelligent. But I really struggled with this, and so the essay I wrote, um, I felt... Uh, was a little bit more of the esoteric part of it. I don't know. Is that the right word? Esoteric? Hmm, no, maybe. I think I don't think that's the right word. I'm searching for... Um, yeah, esoteric's kind of like that left of center, kind of out there. It is a little out there. It is a little out there? Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't think we should, I don't think we should really think of these essays or these like segments as being answering a question. It's kind of exploring a concept. Okay. You know, that makes things a little bit easier, I think. So I should just relax. You should relax. <laughs> Go ahead and just take it easy. <sighs> you look like you need a vacation. <laughs> you don't need a vacation. There's never a vacation from being a musician. I mean, do you even... Do you have a job, right? <laughs> no, I do have a job. Oh, that's right. You're cleaning, right? I am cleaning houses. Yes. So why aren't you famous? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I've started to talk about that a lot more with people um, that I do regularly work as a, a cleaner of one Airbnb house. And I find the work incredibly rewarding in such a different way than music because <laughs> in cl- in the cleaning this one house, like there is a definite end point. Mm-hmm. I can finish it in two hours. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of satisfaction because the job is finished. Right. Um, I know that someone else is, you know, um, probably going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Mm-hmm. There's direct feedback from that. And, right. Um, right. Yeah. It's not, it's very rewarding. But Did, yeah. Is anyone asking you to play wagon wheel while you're <laughs> no. while you're dusting? I never get asked to play um, any stupid covers huh. while I'm while I'm vacuuming and, and scrubbing <laughs> a toilet. Very good. Yeah. So maybe that's why I'm not famous because I'm choosing to spend time earning money as a house cleaner. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Well, when you put it like that. I don't have time. Okay. You don't have time. Very busy schedule. <laughs> schedule. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why I'm not famous because I use the word schedule instead of schedule. Yeah, schedule. We speak American on this podcast. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Okay. So um, as always, we have two segments. Uh, there's a... Um, a segment written by me, and then there's a segment written by Ellen Cherry, and, and we, we swap them back and forth to try to do the equality thing, make sure that people who go first go second, and then people who second go first, and stuff like that. So, uh, starting off... Uh, Just like today, in the Bible. <laughs> which which Bible? You know. Oh, he who is first shall be last, and last will be first. Right. Yeah, Thank right. you. What? We're getting all King James in here. Or is that the Old Testament? 
I, you would think with as many hotel rooms as I've um, stayed in, I would <laughs> oh, know the answer. Ooh. You never cracked the Bible, did you? Did you? <laughs> I, I was busy. <laughs> Sleeping. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Gosh, this podcast is getting dirty. <laughs> All right. Um, so up first is going to be my segment, and then we're going to reflect for a moment, and then we're going to listen to Ellen Cherry. So here we go. I take two steps forward, I take two steps back. Because that's what happens when opposites attract. Maybe Paul Abdul was onto something. Logic suggests that opposite entities should repel each other with equal force, propelling themselves on their own exclusive courses into infinite space. Alone in the vastness, their individuality can blossom and define a whole universe unique to itself. Reality check, though. You are then alone, without a touchstone or a catalyst. Isolation in a sea of nothingness, unmoored and rudderless. Sure, that allows for lots of reflection, but it does not necessarily spark inspiration. More or less, that energy of opposites sends us into our own orbit. Elliptical paths, swinging or swerving two worlds toward each other, resulting in brilliant celestial fireworks, powerful gravity shifts, or horrific extinction-level events. Meteor showers, eclipses, new stars. In the same way the universe operates, so does the human condition. Whether inside the echo chambers and vast space of our own minds or Outside in the backyard, the small town main street, or the spastic wild of the big city, there are trillions of small planetoid orbits intersecting, pushing, pulling, and colliding with each other. Some trajectories are planned and measured, others careening with abandon, and some altered by the orbit of another, and so on. What is driving these orbits? Ethos and ego. In simple terms, ethos is the reputation of the work by the artist, and the ego is the artist's sense of self-worth or importance. Although one is about the work and one is about the self, they share a common purpose, to be good. But good in what capacity? You know how the story goes. An artist does good work, develops a reputation, gains recognition, does more good work, gains wide acclaim, does better work, gets lots of money, does mediocre work, rests on her laurels, becomes a judge on American Idol, defends her previous work by pointing out her previous work, develops a drug addiction, goes to celebrity rehab, drifts off into an eternal sleep isolated with nothing to propel her back into her orbit. Okay, that's a little heavy-handed, but sometimes fame is too. When we lose the link between the integrity of the work with the integrity of the self, our self-importance can become so bloated that we believe all other worlds and their pathetic orbits should alter their paths to accommodate us. And just think about rock stars who started from those humble, honest few records and then skyrocketed into a mainstream world only to exchange their street cred for some sort of useless schlock that has little connection to anyone or any world we or even themselves can relate to. As their fame and power grows, 
so does the pressure in their lives, usually resulting in the inevitable reliance on alternate methods of sedation or normalcy. They seem to lose sense of where they are and how they got there, adrift. No longer are they in a discernible orbit. Sometimes they go supernova, but more likely they fade into some sort of vast darkness. Eventually, I suppose they reside in the where they now file. Sometimes they do reinvent themselves, and there's only one way to do that. Produce new work. Get back to the basics. What made the writing on that first record so good? Authenticity. We believed it. The more famous you become, the more isolated you feel, and the more you rely on that ego. The less you can relate to the people you know or the people who buy your records. Of course, I really don't know what it's like to be famous. I can't even control my trajectory. I can make small adjustments and learn from those who came before me. And it would seem to me that the song, it's the work that should be placed before anything else, especially the self. Perhaps in time, I can use that reputation to attain a larger status and maybe one day sit in a plush chair and proclaim judgment on the offerings of talent before me. But unless I'm producing good work, that status is just as empty as deep space. And there I am, that pale blue dot, small and alone, with my horrors only known to myself. So instead of me or you being the star, let the integrity of the work speak for itself. Let the song be the star placed in the sky at night in proximity to other stars, we'll be able to understand our place in the world a little better when we connect the dots. All right. I totally feel like I had just imbibed in some Soma. <laughs> it is a brave new world. Yay. So I took Dystopia. some. Dystopia. <laughs> 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 give me a D. <laughs> give me a Y. <laughs> Dystopia. So some things I thought about. Um, you talk about uh, not knowing if somebody uh, the the fact that like wondering if somebody is wait what did I actually just write down maybe I should just talk about wondering if someone who you haven't thought about in a while and you think like oh is that person still alive right 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 and it's. I find this from, I'm guilty of this myself, that like I get so wrapped up in my own mind and my own orbit and what I'm doing that I forget that, yeah, every other single person on the planet is experiencing the world in their own way. Yeah. And that, of, of course, people um, are still alive. Just because I haven't heard from them, they're probably just, you know, like going to the grocery store and like living their lives and doing stuff <laughs> and not being famous in that moment. Right. Which is a weird thing to to experience in our day and age with um, social media and this access to celebrity that some people really want, you know, like to bring you into with their carefully curated inner or like one layer into their lives. Sure, what their media package allows us to show versus the candid moments uh, like people magazine they have the uh, little stars they're just like us or us magazine or somebody that's, yeah and it's like you know somebody like spilling a cup of coffee on themselves and <laughs> you know or they're you know they're cheating on their taxes or whatever <laughs> yeah like it's not really the reality <laughs> i just assume anyone who i'm not thinking about is dead wow 
Like, you know, when you're looking at a painting in an art gallery right. and the subject of the painting is facing away from you. Sure, sure. They don't really have a face, which is kind of freaky if you think about it, because what if they turned around in the painting and then it was just blank? Ooh, that would be weird. Right, right. But that's how I view everybody who isn't, like, if I'm not aware of you, then you're probably dead. <laughs> um, so then I was thinking about what you said about the a, a career trajectory where a person is very authentic and they're giving an authentic um, representation of their soul and their feelings through their music or through their artwork, and then they become famous and the artwork becomes a little bit more commercialized, what we, we might refer to as selling out. Right. And then there's this retraction back into, like, I need to get back to the basics. But even that is a little bit spoiled because... Right. Well, are they doing it from an actual authentic place or are they doing it because that's the thing that you do at that point is that you go back to basics and you play like stripped down. And right, right. It's hard yeah, it, <laughs> to discern well, the difference. Well, I think it's like, how do you how do you retain your authenticity? Like, how do you keep that one thing about you? And and there's that whole like you don't want to be disconnected from your work. And an earlier draft of the essay, um, I was bringing up Bruce Springsteen. I was just going to mention him. Yes, because go ahead. because he's just like, I mean, he hasn't lost his authenticity, but he's a you know he's a cardillionaire, yeah, and he plays like sells out stadiums and all this other stuff. But the work it, to him, it's all. I mean, I don't know. There's a couple of crappy albums, but but for him, it's all about the work that he's putting out. Yeah, and you know when you focus on that rather than your image or your dance steps or how much money you're going to make, mm-hmm. you know, then I think I think anybody can retain their their uh, their sense of, of their you know reputation or their down to earthness. I try not to use that in the, so so many tropes of outer space and coldness and vast cosmos. And I was like, yeah, you're really down to earth. Uh, that's dumb. Oh, it's very twee. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna produce the celestial essay, celestial sounding essay, and then talk about being down to earth. I was gonna bring up Bruce Springsteen too because I probably am misquoting him, Ooh. but I feel that I. I feel that I remember him saying something along the lines of when you're just starting out, um, th- nobody cares about the rules and you're just doing what you want to do. Right. Then you get to this mid-level of your career and you can start to make some of the rules mm-hmm. and then you can break them that way. And then you get to the point where he, I mean, this was a couple of years ago, I think, and somebody can write in and tell me that I'm wrong, um, that he said, then you start to make the rules and that's a wonderful position to be in too, because all of a sudden you have reached this level of power. Right. But I had never seen Bruce Springsteen perform and I've heard a couple of his albums, and I'm a fan. I'm not a diehard memorize every lyric type of fan, but I right. thought he was incredible, and and I understand why he has um, achieved such uh, adoration from fans. And so to see him in concert was just so impressive. Mm-hmm. This person who's 64 years old to play a two and a half hour concert, and then to do an encore that was basically <laughs> him and guitar and voice, and him and piano and voice, right. um, in front of 30,000 people, and to connect on such an intimate, in such an intimate way, um, it just, it seemed antithetical to what I see a lot of other performers doing. And so I, I understand the worship of somebody like Bruce Springsteen who has managed to do that, that trick, that trick, um, that feat to manage that feat of maintaining a thread of, of really, truly like saying, yeah, I'm putting the work forward. Right. Right. And that's, you know, you see that in the stage show, you know, I mean, this and no slight to, to you know, pop performers because they're performers are going out. I, I would argue that they're not putting out art, but I would also I would argue that they're putting on a show. It's a spectacle. 
And Bruce Springsteen is by no means a spectacle. The guy, you know, okay, he might wear like a leather vest or something. But beyond that, there's no real stage dressing. It's not like he's like, you know, he doesn't have pyrotechnics going on. And there's no elaborate like, you know, costume change or anything like that. It's, yeah. It's like 10 people going out on the stage and like blasting it out for, for two and a half, half hours. hours without you know? artifice, which right. I really appreciated about that. Yeah, because there may be times in your life when you want to go and see the amazing costumers who make the Katy Perry her costume changes are mm. mind-boggling. There was a tour that she did that I saw a video of, like 20 minutes of it, and the the way that she changed her dresses, mm-hmm. this costume designer had made these incredible dresses that she could like magically change on stage. Whoa. And it was so impressive, but the thing is that like this is all happening and there's an explosion over here to your left, an explosion over here to your right, and it's sort of like the way I feel current American politics are. Let me distract you over here. Right. It's like a magic show. <laughs> and the emperor is not wearing clothes. Yeah. So, and I understand the difference. And like you said, I'm not judging anybody for doing that because it's a the different, uh, the goal is maybe not to create great works of moving art. It's for entertainment. Right. Um, and so those wouldn't be judged on the same scale. But yeah. So should we listen to my essay? I guess so. If we have time. I don't know. You've been listening to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, we ran out of... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So we're going to listen to yours now, and then we're going to do more talking. Yay. Woo. My astrological sign is Cancer, that ancient introverted extrovert, the crab. Attributes of the sign allegedly include being sentimental, a homebody, being fiercely caring and loving, having access to deep emotions and intuition, while also being moody and prone to melancholy and not very impulsive. It's also associated with the middle part of the body, the torso and the abdomen, and it makes me think about one of my favorite phrases from high school Latin, in media res, which translates to in the middle of things. Additionally, I'm a middle kid in my family, which meant flying somewhat under the radar while also learning some important mediation skills. Speaking of middle children, the term ego is one in a famous theory about psychic apparatus. Ego is the balancer, the coaxer, a bridge between the want and the will. I feel a sort of sympathy for ego, the middle sibling attempting to be a translator between the sometimes antisocial, sometimes incredibly selfish, absolutely animalistic instinct of id, and the higher mind, the conscience-driven, altruistically bent superego. In the previous episode, I said that my personal beliefs about fame centered around the idea that it was a reward for a hearty work ethic, and I continue to pursue that type of fame in my own way. If I'm going to be well known, I want it to be for simply writing a good song and singing it well. That ethos has evolved for me over the last 20 years of being an independent musician, and it's shaped, I think, by the conflict between how image-driven my industry is and my personal true love of and need for great storytelling and music. I concede that there's this middle child, my ego in the mix, gloriously bewildered and indecisive. My ego really wants recognition for what I hope is great work and also criticizes me for not packaging it correctly to reach a really wide marketplace or doing that quickly enough or to the right outlet, the list goes on and on and on. Am I not famous because my ethos is stronger than my ego? Or maybe I'm not famous because of the season of my birthday. 
but that sounds like maybe I've made up an astrological scapegoat. Even writing this essay has made my crab-like mind retreat into itself and become lost in some talking roundabout, so let me push through to something a little more external. Every few years, I get up the energy and the funds to attend a booking conference for folk music. And the last time I attended, even though it was miles away from Baltimore, I saw a music friend who I hadn't seen in about two years. He smiled and he shook my hand. But all I remember about the encounter was doing this bob and weave kind of thing to keep myself in his sightline during our conversation. About 30 seconds in, I smiled and said, hey, I'll catch you back on our home turf because I knew that he was doing what maybe he had to do. I had done it myself. Our egos scanned that room. There were more important people we should be talking to if we wanted to make it. So you can't see me, but I just did air quotes around those two words. I think that I remember that moment because it felt like my ethos had come up and sucker punched my ego. Ego, sputtering, knowing it had lost the fight, said, no, no, no. Apply a lot more auto-tune to that vocal track. Definitely stop naming your songs with ridiculous poetic titles. Definitely try to do more call and response chants in your songwriting because that's really hot right now. It's not too late for you to have a hit song. Luckily, my chief intuitive officer, Ethos, enveloped me in its protective claws and softly but firmly said to me, trust me on this, you can create something lasting and moving, and that's important. Let your songs speak for themselves. You, on the other hand, need to shut the fuck up. All right, that was pretty good. Thanks. I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> good. Uh, the um, that whole idea of your ethos keeping your ego in check. That whole idea of like you know, because if you if you give that ego an inch, I mean it'll it'll take a mile. I think I, I've never. I don't think I've ever. I don't know if I've ever like been in a situation where I thought, you know, why not me? Or like you know, I, I I don't know if I've ever had that, but I I can imagine that it's really tempting. Yeah. Because I, I mean, my success has been so limited. <laughs> in certain ways, I mean, people who are listening to this right now who who know June Star or or know my output or whatever, they'd be like, "Well, you're on the radio all the." Well, I am on the radio all the time, and yeah. that's really great. And I'm by no means am I poo pooing WTMD eighty nine point seven Towson University. <laughs> I'm not. I'm very very grateful for that. But but beyond that, like in terms of like, you know, success beyond that. Um, you know, that's that's as far as I've gotten, you know. And so I don't know if I've gotten to the point where I, my ego has kicked in. And I think maybe that's because I've always, I really have like, I've invested in that ethos mm-hmm. part. And I, I have a hard time relating with, with the ego sometimes, I guess, or all the times. Well, and also I think that it has le- the, the rich reward of it that isn't necessarily financial is that we, you and I have had a long friendship that wouldn't mm-hmm. exist if we both were, you know, crazy egomaniacs. We would, we, our ethos has been something that has driven our friendship and also pushed us to be egotistical with each other. And um, I think in a way say like, it's fostered healthy competition. Mm-hmm. It's fostered something about um, 
you know, I, I recognize that my ego is talking when I'm criticizing other people that I know in the, uh, you know, are feeling judgmental about things that I think should be better or someone should be trying harder. Right. And that's my ego talking because I want the community to improve. I want the general output of what everybody's doing to be mm. the highest quality thing. But then I like, part of my super ego has to come back and say like, well, not, not everybody has that ability or maybe they're doing the best that they can. And so slow your roll, Ellen Cherry. Um, But we're also, we're also dancing around something that you and I have had many conversations about. What's that? The rivalries. Oh yeah. The The rivalry. The competition, (laughs) the competitions that are in the room. Professional jealousies. I mean, that's ego. I guess, I, you know, I guess that's ego. Um, yeah, because I think it is like you're, that's the part of the my essay that I wanted, that I talked about, like the shaming part of my ego that says, like you, my ego says, yes, do great work. But then this other like evil, darker side of the ego is, criticizes me for not pursuing the same avenues that other people mm-hmm. have done that have been successful in marketing um, their product, um, their merch, maybe not necessarily their music. And, um, and to me, my ethos then gets a little bit bitter and probably cynical and judgmental, maybe not the ethos, but maybe just me. Um, I can't be blaming it on these other personalities or something that says, well, that's why, you know, my music is going to be deeper and more reflective and last longer, blah, blah, blah. I'll show you you by writing the deepest song possible. And, that's like, I I want to be softer and more accepting, but there is a competitive jealousy sure. that I have, and um, and also it's it's shaped the way that I've, I mean, in terms of pursuing fame, it's it has I think in a few cases kept me from opportunities where I might have gotten exposure to that other person's audience because mm. I didn't really want to be near them, right, right, because I felt like a snobbishness and I may have missed an opportunity to connect with an audience member who was looking for something that I provide and right. I missed it. So I can't say that. I mean, yeah, I'm again, I'm in a talking roundabout. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's hard to talk about these things. This is not a it's not an easy subject to talk about and you, you, you try to kind of, cause you don't want to sound like a dick. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, and sometimes, and sometimes when I, you know, if I put my, my professional jealousy stuff in check, you know, I'll see that somebody is, you know, playing some sort of show or whatever that, you know, I would have liked to play or I thought I would have been yeah. good for that. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how'd they get that show? What? I'm, okay. Well, I suppose, I don't do it as much as when I was younger. Yeah, I and, feel like that I've grown a little <coughs> bit out of it. Um, but, you know, back when in, in some of my relationships, um, and you know, specifically when I was married, my my ex wife, uh, boy, she would get really angry. I mean, she was like really mad when somebody else got a show that I didn't get or whatever, and I was like, ah, you know, and I mean, because I mean, we were married and all that. She other was stuff. your proxy. She she was, and I was like, maybe you didn't have to express it as much because she could express it but, for you. But and, and not to sound like a, a well, I I I don't know if I ever told her not to say something, <laughs> but um, but there was like, there's also this whole. I'm so used to, and this isn't a pity party thing. This is just kind of how things go. I, I'm so used to to not getting those shows, or I'm so used to not having those things I, I i think to myself well, well whatever you know I, that's fine i'm gonna go write another song or i'm gonna do this 
um, like whenever, whenever, you know, not always, but there's probably about 50% of the time if I'm on a multi-band bill and it's like a festival thing, uh, we'll be left, <laughs> my band will be left off of the poster or like, you know, we won't be put on the email or, you know, we won't get advertised or whatever. I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, that's kind of how it goes. Ani DeFranco had a song about that where she talks about, um, the her name being in a like slightly smaller font on the poster. We're <laughs> hearing I, that. I do that when I make my posters. Hey, everyone gets a smaller font. <laughs> You're like Star. Andrew Grimm, Joe Star. <laughs> well, actually, I I, 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 re- <laughs> <laughs> I I try to um, when I when I make those posters. The only reason I, the only reason I I do the sizing the way I do is because sometimes people's names are longer than other people's, and I'm trying to fit them on one line. Sure, 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 so, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, that's. No other reason other than that. Well, and also to to your point about taking that moment of professional jealousy, because I've had that experience in the audience of going to see a friend play and thinking, like wishing I was on that stage mm-hmm. doing what they're doing. And there's a jealousy there that has to do with my ego. Not necessarily that I think I would be doing a better job than they are, but just like the desire to perform and to having an ego about the high quality work that I think I'm doing sure. and that I want to be out in the world and how this would have been a great opportunity. Why didn't I get this one exactly? But then to take, instead of taking the moment and figuring out like, well, what is the strategic plan I need to put in place <laughs> to get that gig? What is the relationship I need to develop? The music becomes the sort of consolation prize because you're like, well, I would really rather... Sure spend my time playing guitar or reading a book that I think is going to inform my spirit and give me, you know, a good line to hang a whole song on or, you know, any of those other reasons why I avoid, um, what would probably make, um, my Ellen Cherry brand more out in the world. You know what I mean? You have a brand. Don't don't we all have to have a fucking brand now? (laughs) Right. Maybe we do. I guess. I I mean, but, but isn't, so, like in my essay, I talked about how, like, you know, let your let let your song be the star. Let your song be the, so. Maybe maybe the songwriting should be the brand. Of course, I know conventional marketing. You have to get it out there. And and I was just thinking about what you're saying about the whole ego thing. Like when you're seeing somebody on stage, and I think that in a lot of ways, that's how we all ended up starting out doing this stuff. I remember watching bands play, and I was like, I could do that. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, and then I got on stage, and I was like, oh, this is harder than I thought. Yeah, because it's not just getting up to, I mean, the key to being a performer, which you are a good performer, is oh, that we, that. you have to have an awareness of, of the attractive qualities that you have. Right. Are, how are you drawing people towards you with your music, your guitar, your voice, your physical presence, eye contact, all of those things that you start to learn that, that it's a hard lesson to learn if you didn't grow up in Disney or, you know, become um, a, a brand at the age of 13 where you had experts guiding right. every single step and and basically giving you like um lessons on how to do that the way right, right. you know like i don't know sociopaths learn how to not be <laughs> perceived as such in society how to lose your empathy in 20 days <laughs> yeah exactly right? right and so the idea being that you learn it by this trial by fire <laughs> that that you're not successful and that your sure. your ego actually says okay it's great that you have this wonderful ethos um dedicating <laughs> towards dedicated towards creating great work but right. your ego is like yeah you should take a shower and you know like plan your clothes <laughs> yeah you know you should scrub under those fingernails <laughs> you know well here's a question for you then okay all right so we're, this is gonna, gonna like a lightning round question oh no um so you're playing a show and you're 
doing the best you can with the material you got and the PA or all that else doesn't matter. You're playing a show and people are talking. Oh yeah. The talking. The talking. That's okay. So that happened mm. to me at a gig that we both recently played uh-huh. in Baltimore City, where in a whole big room, uh-huh. huge room, the one table where all the talkers were was right next to the microphone and the main speaker. And I felt like saying to those people for the two hours I was playing the set, like, just move to the back of the room <laughs> because you're actually talking louder now over what I'm trying to produce. Uh-huh. And these people who are sitting further away can't hear it. Um, that is a weird I try to remember the from the audience perspective that when especially in those gigs when a person isn't buying a ticket and sitting Mm -hmm. in a chair that if music hasn't been introduced as part of the evening that they're expecting there at the bar or the Mm -hmm. venue that you're at they are like it's an annoyance to them and they want to overpower it so their ego is telling them like this is stupid and I'm like I'm having to tolerate this you know, musician, when I really want to be watching a game. This girl who's complaining about something. <laughs> hey, Tyler. Did meet, I me, meet me at the park. I'm <laughs> on the monkey bars. What is it? How's it going? Not t- hey, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. What you doing later? <laughs> I am, I write better lyrics than that. Thank you very much, you big I, jerk face. That's a great song. <laughs> it is a great, it is a great song. song. It's a fantastic song. But yeah, there's um, that has happened... I think less frequently for me starting a couple years ago when I stopped doing as much bar work. <laughs> but I also had to find other sources of income because I didn't sure. have that steady work anymore. Sure. No, no I, th- I think it's, <clears throat> I think there's a really great point that, you know, you think about the context of the bar and, and your answer is correct, by the way. I, of course it is. You know, why wouldn't it be? Duh. Shaw. Uh, sure. Come on, Graham. Oh, so, um, but the, that whole idea of like the, the the context of the venue and the context of the of the situation you're playing, you know, sometimes if it's a listening room, that's one thing. But if it's a bar with like you know 19 flat screens going on and everyone's you know watching NASCAR or my favorite was when they were watching we were playing, I think we were playing the Waterfront Hotel, and uh, we were playing and they had like ESPN Classic Bowling was on and it was like a, a a PBA tournament from like 1978 or 1982 or something like that. And people were watching that and we were killing it too. But it was like, I was like, I guess those are humbling moments or whatever. I, I don't get angry about that stuff, but I did the one trick that I learned. Um, I when, feel like I used to get angry about it maybe oh, like five sure. or six years ago and now well, I've let it go a little bit. Yeah, yeah it, it, there's no there's no choice but to let go. I mean, it would be different if you were playing, like, I, I guess, Andy music or whatever and, you know, people pay $10 and they're sitting there in these chairs and, and then suddenly somebody, like, you know, decides to start watching, you know, some, you know, uh, a wagon wheel video on their YouTube. You have a, <clears throat> you have a real, um, like, personal vendetta against the song. No, of course not. It's, I love being asked to play it. Um, it really... <laughs> it just fills you with you know, joy. <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like, hey, do you play any real music? How about wagon wheel? You know, everyone likes that. I was just at a wedding and somebody... It wasn't somebody from the wedding who was asking for it. It was the bartender. Oh, and I was just doing sound, and he goes, and, he, and whenever I do sound, apparently people mistake me for being in the band, so they, they start asking me questions, and the bartender's like, hey, you know what they really want to hear, man? They really want to hear some wagon wheel. I know you guys know how to play wagon wheel, so it's really going to get people going if you don't like, oh, God, please, dear. I mean, I was kind of, 
I don't really hope for like asteroids hitting me. But I <laughs> well, this it, is an opportunity, Andrew Grimm. That's right. If there's any young songwriters out there performing in the public sphere, <laughs> as you move forward in your careers, we need to eradicate the scourge of humanity. The song "Wagon Wheel." <laughs> Wagon Wheel. Refuse to play it, or our trick, which is that anytime somebody would come up and say, "Like, do you know any Sarah McLaughlin?" I'd be like, "The whole next set is Sarah McLaughlin. All Sarah McLaughlin," and then I would usually play like. Tom Waits, <laughs> right. Little Cindy Lauper. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, that's my own song. I swear to you, this is the same song. This, the notes are a little bit arranged differently, yeah. and it's a different speed. It's my special cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I, I got away from what I was going to say. I can't remember what it was. It doesn't really matter. You anymore. were talking about. No, I can't remember either. But I wanted to to pick up on the fact that both of our essays basically ended on the same theme, mm-hmm. which is that the song is going to speak for itself. Right. And so one of the reasons why we may not be famous is that the way that we have defined fame or we are defining fame and, um, and sort of unpacking it for ourselves through these therapeutic essays <laughs> is that... <laughs> so I'm feeling better already. Hope right you on. are too, Woo! listeners. Um, that it's um, the ethos has been our, our fuel yeah. and has driven both of us to, to really say to our egos yes i know that to to feed you um it would be great to to become a celebrity because it would it would it probably does put you in this somatic state of feeling good Mm -hmm. all the time um and that you can um be the leader of the free world in in maybe in some bizarro dystopic future oh no wait where (laughs) Every answer is yes all the time to you and you never have to hear the word no or a contrary statement or even be deeply reflective and, and not necessarily, in my opinion, lead a rich life that is, um, has a moral center that actually cares about other people. But I digress. Um, (laughs) the idea being that the work, the artists that we both respect the most in visual arts in film and media and, and especially in music have said, have made a conscious choice at some point early in their careers to let ethos be the the North Star for them and to guide them. And as bitter and cynical and angry as it may make us um, in another 20 years of this bullshit, we... um, At least we can wrap around ourselves the idea that we produce some good songs. 20 years years of this podcast? No, I just meant like of the... Oh, just existing. Of um, existence. (laughs) Anyway. Well, here we are. So I guess we should cut to our final segment. Well, we got two segments. Remember, we were talking about our tour stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Talk, which, which neither of and oh, I got I got something special. But let's do the we'll, we'll do this song first. Okay. So you're do you talk about the song? Yes. So I um, met Lance Taylor, who is a, a Key West Floridian now, and um, he is a great songwriter. I love his music because it's. Um, moving and telling and when i was there for a residency a couple of years ago i learned this song because i had heard him play it in a bar it's called thinking about you and it's by lance taylor and i hope you really enjoy it the people that we used to be 
the line where my hopes were dead Thinking by the river and my way it unwinds Led me to you through forgotten times Think of our affair and how it all fell flat Just to leave me thinking, wondering where you're at Oh, thinking that I gave you what I should have held back Think of your caress and your skin so soft The moon in the sky like a quarter through cloth Memories like these are hard to shake off
So that was Lance Taylor with Thinking About You from his album Kickbox Tambourine, which you can get on his Bandcamp site, and we will put it in the comments below or somewhere. I don't somewhere, even know. Somewhere, yeah. yeah. We're I don't still even developing the website. <laughs> I will, I'll get that information to you. <laughs> what did you think? You have, have you heard that song before? I have not heard that song before. Um, I really like it. Um, I think that there's a couple of like really good images in there. There's the quarter and the uh, the moon and the quarter and the... In the, can I tell you a story about that line? Yes, you can. Okay. Oh my God, there's a story. Yes. So I was on this residency and the third night I was there after drinking copious, um, it was in Key West, drinking a lot of strong coffee. I had been like <laughs> staying up every night and writing songs. Mm-hmm. The third night um, I found out that um, Swamp Candy was playing at a bar in Key West. Swamp Candy is in Annapolis. Yeah, Ruben, Ruben Dobbs. Ruben and, Dobbs, right. yeah. And Joey Mitchell. And um, I was like, there's a Baltimore band playing down the street from where I'm staying. So I went out and they had this guy, this friend in the crowd who they said, come up and play a song. And it was a crowded bar and their people were ignoring the musicians, uh-huh. even though they were a great, Swamp Candy is a great band. And... Um, Lance starts singing and he gets to that line, the moon in the sky, like a quarter through cloth. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it just rang through and just hit me smack in the ear. And all of a sudden I was like, and I started paying attention to him and I had to talk to him afterwards. I was like, tell me that line again, because I got hooked on that. And the other line that I love is the, like looking at um, through the wrong end of a love fades away down a sliding slope, like looking through the wrong end of a telescope. It's a great line. Um, The line at the, um, At the end when he says, I just get behind the mule every morning and plows this mm. wonderful reference to like a Tom Waitsian type of image. Right, yeah. Right. Anyway, those are the reasons why I love it and think it should be yeah. famous. <laughs> well, it's like you can't shake them. Sh- shaking off memories like shaking off bees or whatever. He says memories like there. these are hard to shake off. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's yeah, some really good lines in there. Um, and there's like a there's a there's kind of a slight turn in the middle where he's he talks about what it would feel like to not uh, hold you anymore and stuff like that. So you have this kind of like. In one way, you have this kind of bouncy, kind of like, I love you type of song. And then... Obsessive. I'm obsessively thinking about it. Yeah. And then you have all the, you know, there's a a lot more depth there than you would originally think. Yeah, because it cuts you right there in that moment. I really do feel like it, it, for me, that song hinges on that, like, when I perform the song, and it's so funny to listen to it after these, I haven't heard Lance's version in probably two and a half, three years, because I've been playing it and got used to my own version. I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is what Lance's version sounds like when he says that. <laughs> As opposed to my superior <laughs> no, Ellen Cherry Just version. different, just different. My ego. <laughs> um, yeah, thinking what it means to never hold you again. Yeah. It's like, that is a, it's poetic, but it's not it's not off-putting because everyone has probably felt something like that. The realization that the, that love affair is over. Mm. I'm never going to hold you again. Maybe he was just finishing a sandwich. Maybe it could be. Oh, sandwich. <laughs> now that I've digested you. Oh, oh, pumpernickel. What it means to never hold you again. <laughs> so yes, that's Lance Taylor's song about a really, really good sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So our next, uh, the final segment of our podcast, each time we're talking uh, about a tour Yep. Um, that we are going to be embarking on um, in March. Uh, drum roll. Did you apply to South by Southwest? I haven't yet. When's the deadline? I thought it was September 1st was the deadline. No. I'm pretty sure I'm going to look it up. I don't think it was September 1st. I didn't apply. Maybe that was the early bird. Oh, no. That means we got to pay more. 
Did you apply? No. Oh, I thought you were going to like rub it in my face. No, and say, I completely forgot. I was driving. I was like, oh, dang it. No, I think it's like the 15th or something. We still have time. South by Southwest. So while Grim is looking it up, I don't even remember the second date that we're looking for on this tour. The first date was Pittsburgh, PA. Oh, Columbus. Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Which should be easy too because we have, we have friends in, in Columbus. It won't be Matt Monta because he'll be, he's in uh, Purdue. Nice. Yeah, because his wife... Uh, Got her PhD and she's now uh, a visiting professor at uh, at Purdue. Wonderful, good yeah, for them. Good for them. That was a weird aside. Does anyone like if you know Matt Monta? Don't worry. Well, if you don't know him, we'll be talking about um, why he should be famous in future episodes as well. Yes, we will definitely be talking about him. He's got that song. Uh, maybe this time. So um, we are going to both apply for South by Southwest very soon, as yes. long as the deadline hasn't passed. Yeah, register now. Don't yeah. even look it up. People are listening. They're going to be totally listening. bored. It, Andrew Grimm is involved. <laughs> no one's listening to this. All right, I'll look it up later. But so yeah, so then we'll be looking at Columbus, Ohio, and then after that, something, then something, then something. That's um, in the next episode. So tune in. Yeah, I mean, we're slowly revealing where we're not going to get booked. <laughs> I, I'm so looking. Well, actually, I'm looking. I we we should try the so far the so far concerts. Have you heard about this? No. Um, it's like, it, it's kind of like a house concerty type of thing. But once again, as always, you have to submit your music and, you know, so somebody can say, well, I don't know if you're any good. Yeah. You know, which of course my ego then kicks in. Like, I don't know, man. I saw the people you have playing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I can take them. Like, that's what we should <laughs> warn people about. Like, if you're entering a career in the arts... Just prepare to be like <laughs> eating shit all day. Ninety <laughs> percent of your life is about how to gracefully handle rejection. Yep. <laughs> and let me tell you, it, I, I I I always look forward to an email that tells me no rather than a non-response. Yes. Thank you so much for at least telling us no. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I don't have to expend any more energy thinking about your crappy venue that's gonna, <laughs> that's going to fold in a year. Meanwhile, I'll still be putting records out. Yeah, screw you. <laughs> take, take that. I'll list a whole bunch later. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I still got some feelers out. This is the sound of um, Grim burning all of our bridges. <laughs> yeah, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Type of thing. So anyhow, um, before we go, Alan Cherry, where can we find you on the internets? You can find me at www.ellencherry.com. And yourself? Uh, you can find me at junestar.com, J-U-N-E-S-T-A-R.com. You could also find both of us. Uh, well, you can find junestar.bandcamp.com and ellencherry.bandcamp.com. Uh, we both have subscription services, and uh, you can get a whole bunch of exclusive material and stuff from there. I'm now on, we're recording this in September, so I am now on track 10. It's been 10 weeks for my new year of subscription, so I've, I've recorded 10 public domain songs so far. Good for you. Yeah, and one of them is really dumb. Overachiever. <laughs> Well, okay. A little miswork ethic. Some of us have a lot of television to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whose code do you have for... Don't uh, talk about private things, okay? I'm changing my password. No! Yeah, take that. All right. You've been listening to Why Aren't You Famous with me, Ellen Cherry, and... Andrew Grimm. And we are still wondering. See you next time. All right. Later. Later.